Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited to have James returning. This is going to be fantastic, and while I am excited, y'all should be too. Like the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all of that good stuff, get your emails whenever we go live, which is, of course, every day for another six days, five days now after today. It's going to be pretty awesome to see what happens next. Now, um, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, by all means, put them up in the comment section. We will engage those directly. We don't have any right now to show, but uh, we'll hit them up when they get there. Today, we're going to be talking about finding peace in chaos, which is a very interesting subject. Can't wait to get it to it. But before we do, James, give us a quick 10, 15 seconds who we are, where you come from, that good stuff. Giver. All right. My name is James Gearing, originally from England. I uh, moved to the US about 22 years ago now became a firefighter paramedic here in the US. Um, and then about 10 years into my career, started seeing the impact on the first responders from doing those professions, started a podcast trying to bring solutions to problems, and then ultimately transitioned out to be the voice of the first responders about five years ago. Bam. And been doing awesome podcasts ever since. Um, and let's, uh, let's get into it, finding peace in chaos. So I'm going to give a little blurb and then we're going to kick right off in the conversation. So what is finding peace in chaos? Well, it refers to the ability to maintain a sense of calm and tranquility despite external or internal turmoil. It involves cultivating a mindset that allows you to navigate challenging situations with composure and resilience. So when I say finding peace in chaos, what are your first thoughts, James? Funnily enough, my brain immediately went to the mental health conversation. And the reason being the ultimate level of performance that we can achieve, whether it's in sport, whether it's a first responder or, or a, a warfighter, is the flow state that we ch chase the whole time. And for some of our more alpha-minded, and I'm using a very two-dimensional <laughs> description, um, it's very hard to discuss mental health with some of them that are stuck in their old ways and kind of believe still in that two-dimensional um, Hollywood-esque version of masculinity, for example. And so one of the ways that I've been able to try and address mental health in that kind of person is to look at it in a flow state instead. So when you think about performance, you need stress, you need that high level of repetitions, but then you also need a calm mind. And so a lot of us in these professions that are listening at the moment, you know, we have that high level of stress every day, whether it's overseas, whether it's in our, our area that we protect, we should have a high number of reps, but that calm mind is a missing piece. So for me, that is the ultimate goal is finding peace amongst chaos, whether it's for your mental health or your performance. Absolutely. Sean, what are your first thoughts? Well, I agree with all of that. And I'm sure we'll build off of that. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was um, you can find peace and chaos. And then at some point in your future life or in your past life, you forget how to do it. And then you've got to relearn how to do it again. Like me. I mean, I, I thought I had a few things figured out and then I didn't, then I did, then I didn't, then I did, then I didn't, then I did. And that's a way of life. I don't think it's this perfectly linear approach towards the moon where you stand on top, plant a flag and say, I won. I think that there's a little bit of backsliding and a little bit of hanging off, uh, going hard left and hard right from time to time. The ebbs and flows of life, finding peace in chaos. The, the entirety of life has chaos in it. And so 
I don't think it's a one and done. I think it's something that you might find and then you might lose and then you might have to find again several times. You're muted, Chance. You're muted. God, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> anyway, I was just saying that is a really interesting thought pattern, James. What do you think on that? I couldn't agree more. I think this is the, the problem. We were just talking about my new T-shirt. Let me do a plug. Self-care and sabotage. I think this is the tug of war that a lot of us struggle with, You know, especially the shame and guilt that comes with falling off the wagon, whether that's addiction, whether that's a workout program, mobility, you know, nutrition, whatever it is, is I think there is this kind of projected element of that 45 degree, you know, growth that, that, uh, you know, Sean was talking about and that's, that's, that's wrong. And so we, we have this kind of, you know, up and down chart towards progress and hopefully trending in the way that we want, but it absolutely is, you know, ebbs and flows, highs and lows, you know, successes and failures. And, I think the biggest thing is understanding that, just as you said, we do live in a chaotic world. I mean, everything in, in this life is chaotic. Go to, go to a structure fire as a firefighter after being taught sequentially how to address it in a fire academy. Then you get on scene, you're like, oh, my God, this is, this is a nightmare. <laughs> We're just, it's organized chaos at best. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think the shame and guilt that comes with that failure, that, that downward spike, um, especially if you... <laughs> kind of buy into the insta influencer you know again facade that oh i get up every day at 4 30 and i have a nice bath and i do my stretches and no one does none of us do you know we might aim to we're going to have days that we absolutely crush it and days that we don't and i think understanding that it's the highs and lows and cumulatively trending in the right way you get rid of that guilt and shame and then you're able to get back on the wagon a lot easier yeah i like that a lot sean what are you thinking on that? Well, I, I agree with James. And, and, you know, the tricky part is the balance line for me is how to not guilt someone while still holding them accountable. Because at the end of the day, it's gotta, there's got to be some consistency. Otherwise, it's fragmented, randomized efforts to maybe get out of bed every once in a while and you know, it's it's just a case of there. there's no forward momentum being consistently pursued. And it doesn't mean by consistent, I don't mean every single day you got to crack it out of the park because no one does. But I mean, an effort has to be made to at least every second day or every third day, every third day I make an effort, some consistency of effort where it's not a randomized mm, chaotic approach to life. Life is already chaotic. Try to put some parameters in place or try to put some consistency or discipline or routine in place where you can kind of manage some of the external chaos by controlling the inner world by consistent effort to try and be a little bit better each day. And through reading, through listening to someone, through talking to someone, through doing something, through not doing something, if you're a constant doer, then maybe you just need to namaste out for the day. That that could be chaotic in a way. And so I think the to again to James's point, the the guilt that can be applied against someone because they've backslid uh, is a real thing. But then accountability has to come into play. So the checks and balances of guilt versus accountability 
I mean, those two are strong levers that you can apply against someone's life or they can apply within their life. And, you know, there's a bit of a balance there, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture here to, to kind of make my point or ask you guys this question. Um, I think that a lot of us who are getting into a new game or getting into something new or trying to set that consistency, um, it's like trying to climb something that you're not rated to climb. Let's put it that way. So like, uh, if you take someone who's never, ever done any sort of, uh, climbing, mountain climbing, traditional climbing, whatever it is, uh, and you give them a complete sheer face, they're going to really struggle to maintain a consistency of hitting that face every time, just due to the fact of the difficulty. And I think that, uh, the one things that we don't give ourselves grace in terms of building that consistency is lowering the slope on that so that we can scramble up a, you know, 30 degree slope or 45 degree slope before trying to smash into a 90 degree wall. And the question I have for you guys is, do you think that that is a consistent problem across the board? Like we try, we see the challenge, we're going to take on that mountain. Yes, that face is mine. And then don't give ourselves the time to train up to it. We just try to like dive into it. James, what do you think? I think, again, referring back to social media, I think this is the problem. And I've talked about this quite a lot. If I wanted to learn to do some sort of gymnastics, you know, and I look at some of the incredible athletes online, I'm going to be discouraged because I'm like, well, there's no way in hell I can do that ring routine. I'm just trying to do a single, you know, muscle up, um, you know, and you watch the skateboarders and everyone else. And no, no one's doing it deliberately to discourage people, but we're surrounded by people's life's work, the, the result of people's life's work. And I think it can be very discouraging for people. So for example, how many influencers out there are doing videos in the gym with their shirt off, with their abs, you know, now you say you're a deconditioned 40 year old man with, you know, 60 pounds extra fat that you want to get rid of, you know, his routine, you know, bench pressing on a Swiss ball may just be like, you know, it's that sheer face. And I think that understanding the incremental element and really enjoying the journey, not looking at, oh, man, when I hit this this number on the scale, I'm going to be so much better. But finding a love or simply achieving, you know, that 45 degree climb that you did and then adding, you know, the next click of difficulty, because I think there's a lot more power in achievement than there is failure. I mean, obviously, we need failure as well. But um, you know, you look at a child learning to crawl, learning to stand, learning to walk. You're not screaming at the infant going, why aren't you running yet? You you celebrate every step and you encourage them. And therefore, they keep getting better and better and better. But I feel like when we get a little bit older, you know, it's like with and I've talked about this numerous times, this whole participation trophy conversation drives me crazy because you're discouraging people from trying. I have never met a group of children that put zero effort in and everyone just draped them in trophies and medals. I've never seen it happen ever. I've never seen anyone slip on a banana skin either. But what I have seen is grown ass men and women run a Disney marathon, do a tough mutter. You know what they get at the end? A participation trophy. Because you just went through 26 miles or you just ran through 13 miles of mud and obstacles. This is an achievement. Good for you. You showed up, you got dirty, you got tired and you made it. So it's not a participation trophy. It's you're part of the tribe now. You're one of us kind of thing. So I think we need to celebrate achievements rather than, again, shame someone because they only do the first pin on a tech deck machine 
but Steve McPex over there does 20. Like, who cares? You know, the fact that you showed up and you did the first day with almost zero weight, but you got your ass back in the gym, that should be celebrated. Yeah, I like that. Sean, thoughts on this? I love Steve McPex. That's freaking awesome. Steve McPex. That's <laughs> so, probably a real um, person. He probably is. <laughs> He's probably on the peck deck right now. Um, <laughs> so I think the uh, couple of things. One is uh, I do agree with James on that. And uh, to, to your point, Chance, or your question, or your proposition, you know, that that's that cliff face that uh, someone wants to immediately engage in. Um, th there's a lot of that in social media where, you know, let's use David Goggins as an example, as the example. Someone will watch a video of David Goggins running down a, um, a highway, maybe in black and white, and his shirt off, definitely. And he's just he's just cursing out the crowd. He's just letting all the F-bombs fly and stay hard and pointing his finger and, and getting the viewer revved up, motivated. Now they're hopping off the couch and they're running down the highway, getting after it way harder than they should be on day one of the rest of their life. And so they wake up the next morning and they've got doms. They've got a delayed onset and they're stiff as can be. And they don't do anything that day. And they don't do anything the next day because the 48 hours later is even worse. And so now it's three days into it. They watched a video a couple of days ago and they got all wired up, and now they're not as stoked because that was three days ago. And so a David Goggins mentality on day one is maybe not appropriate for someone who hasn't been living that life. So you've got to edge your way in. You've got to ease your way in. And so that cliff face is definitely the wrong thing for most people. However, there's always outliers. Like, I'll call myself an outlier. If I've been laying on the couch for 10 years and someone says, there's no way you can scale that cliff by the end of this year, I'll, I'll be trying to scale that cliff because that's the way I'm wired. And so it comes down to how each person approaches life. And everyone's got a unique approach. Some people like to ease into it. Some people like to try and do the impossible. And they don't care, care about the failure. They don't care about the win. They just care about the challenge of the process. So James hit it on the head for me, the process. Engaging in something not just for the day, but for your life. Not just for maybe life sounds too long. Maybe for the rest of 2024, engaging in a process. And it doesn't matter what you're engaging in, whatever activity, cliff climbing or road running or whatever the case is, engaging in it consistently with an, with an eye towards maybe a goal, but the goal isn't necessary. What is necessary is consistent effort that will take you in a forward direction where you see improvement, where you get to understand a process, the process that you can then apply against the rest of your life, against any challenge that someone throws down at your feet. Like, do you think you can climb that cliff? If you can crack out one successful year of understanding a process, now you can address anything. Now you can get to work on cliff climbing if that's what fascinates you. But cliff climbing will be spoiled if someone says, go climb that cliff 
And after an hour, you're so frustrated, you'll never go near a cliff face again. And so I think first things first is you've kind of got to understand yourself to some degree and how you are wired. And then the people around you who are throwing challenges around, maybe craftily, boutiquely creating a challenge for you because they know you, well, that can happen as well, where someone will carefully challenge me with something that seemingly seems almost impossible, but I'll sink my teeth into it because again, that's how I'm wired. So you've got to understand the person, the person's got to understand themselves, and then the process has to start unfolding. Yeah. I like how you put it there. And I, I got a question on that. I just want to hit this up real quick. Lisa jumped in here. Good afternoon. Everyone could see Lisa. She was saying, I just talked to my mom about this showing up for myself and setbacks, finding balance. Perfect. So, um, the question I have on that, to your point, Sean, is that I think a lot of us, especially in the first responder slash veteran world, is we don't really know how to find peace, but we know how to impose quiet. And I think that that is kind of the the wall that we're facing right now in terms of the veteran space, the first responder space, is that we can get busy real fast so that we can quiet our mind. We can do a lot of things to quiet our mind without actually seeking to find that peace. And so I'm wondering, do you guys, do you guys see that as well? Or do you think that there's a, an additional issue in there that I'm not seeing? James, what do you think? It's an observation that I've made more recently when it comes to, I mean, obviously I know the fire service, that's the one I see with my own eyes, but when you understand that so many of us, before we even put the uniform on, you know, a lot of us had trauma and that can be a superpower if it's if it's processed healthily. But a lot of times it's not. It's buried down and we seek the uniform, you know, first. The, so the buck, buck stops there. Maybe you're a protector. You don't want people to feel the the kind of um, uh, the abuse that you were having when you were younger. Um, but it's also busyness. You know, when you are in a firefight, when you're going to a structure fire, when you're running towards the, you know, the Vegas strip after a shooting, you're not thinking about your worries and your childhood and all that kind of thing. So I like that you said impose quiet because that's kind of how I see our profession. And I think the in my profession, it seems like about 10 years that the newness really starts to wear off. The the structure fire that would get your heart beating out your chest when you were, you know, had a year on as a probie, that's it's a nothing fire when you're, you know, 10 years in. So that adrenaline level, that stress, that newness, that challenge um, starts depleting. And so the ability to quieten the mind or force the mind to be quiet, as you were saying, imposing it starts to diminish because it's not as exciting anymore, you know. And it's, you know, to the point where I think a lot of us come out the other end of this profession and we're <laughs> such adrenal fatigue that you're searching for something to even get your heart rate up now. So I think that that is a very, very important concept for people to understand is that imposing quiet on a mind that maybe is being loud because there's some things that need to be talked about. So if you can simultaneously find that quiet, like healthily, whether through counseling, through psychedelic retreats, through meditation, through whatever your thing is or your combination of things, that is a really important thing. Because if you just simply bury it, like one of my friends did, Chad, who's a Green Beret qualified, he never actually served because he kind of had a downward spiral and then became a firefighter, excelled, and then got to about 10 years downward spiral again. It almost killed him, you know, because that quiet at some point, that forced quiet loses its uh, momentum. So I think it's uh, 
it's a really important thing to self-reflect on. Am I staying busy because I don't want to address some things that are between my ears? And I think most of us have that. And again, even if you're not looking at it that way, then we're talking about the flow state. So I think it's a great point. Absolutely, Sean. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm kind of in line with uh, James, and it's a phenomenon that I've noticed as well, and and also in myself. And I think it comes down to um, once you jump into something, and let's call it a new arena, let's call it a new firefighter, as James uh, um, was discussing. If I jump in as a new firefighter, I'm going to have my jazz hands going. I'm going to be all excited for the first year. I'm going to be learning all the things, doing all the things, getting squared away. Five years in, maybe someone's given me a nod now. Maybe someone's accepted me into he's generally squared away. That's the accepted uh, word on the street. And then 10 years in, you've been in so long or long enough that you know the game. And now you're you're kind of offloading a lot of the game. Now you're kind of sort of numb to the game and it's not that you've become full zombie but you've kind of lost the joy of the process you've kind of disconnected from the 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 fun of it or what got you stoked to do it at the start now it's it's not mundane it's just business as usual and you've kind of disconnected from the business as usual and so um what keeps us involved in life, um, the joy of life, um, has been almost stripped away just through the either incessant nature of call after call after call and you're worn down or the incessant nature of um, maybe shift work where you're flippity flopping from days to nights to days to nights and you just can't get a sleep rhythm and you're just worn down to a nub. And so um, it's not that you've gone full zombie. It's just that you have disconnected from the joy of the job. And then maybe you realize it. And then you bounce out of that career into another career. And now you've got your jazz hands going again. But you're, you're, you're fresh meat to the crew that you've just moved into. They don't know that you just came out of a semi-zombie state. They just see an excited new white belt in whatever industry that has got their hands going and they're excited and they're learning. And now they're a year in, now they're five years in, now they're 10 years in, now they're semi-zombie. Now they step out into a new arena. No one ever forms the pattern unless there's someone who's in your life a long, long time and can observe the ebbs and flows. There's only one person who can do this. You, you've got to observe yourself. You've got to understand that. Oh man, I just see what happened there. I cannot believe that's, that was my program over the last two and a half years. What the heck? And now I'm going to adjust. And so there's there's never any shame in adjusting your trajectory, course calibrating yourself just a little bit better once you realize that, oh, I, I had a blind spot there. I can't believe that. Got to do something about it. The moment that you address your shortcomings in this trajectory that has ebbs and flows, the ebb and flow is always going to be there, but the forward momentum is what you're pursuing bit by bit, day by day. And it doesn't mean that you're going to crack it out of the park every single day, as we've, as we've already said. But there has to be an effort made. And by being consistent in your effort, you should be e more easily able to form the pattern that perhaps you're getting a bit numb to the world around you. 
at this point for whatever reason, whether it be work or, or family life or pressures of what have you. And so I think that it's, it's, if you've got people who can tell you that, bro, you're, you're not the same guy you were 10 years ago in this job. If no one's telling you that, then it's on you to sit down every once in a while and consider these things at a bit of a deeper level. Yeah. James, you got any uh, additional points on that? No, I think that's it. And I think, you know, you can, you can still love the job, but I think that it's about percentages. You know, when you're a brand new probie, hundred percent of the things are new to you, you know? So even though you're training diligently and you're taking classes and doing all the things which I did all the way through to the end, and I transitioned out, not because of a lack of the love of the job, but to advocate for the people within it, um, because you can't really speak freely when you work for an agency. Um, but it's still about that percentage and but it, but taking another thing that uh that sean was saying when you are in a group of firefighters for example in a fire station you're all in the meat grinder together so if i ask my truck partner hey you know how do you think i'm doing he's like you're doing fine i'm so are you all right we're great but you ask your wife or your mother or your child who sees you you know after deployment or you know, after what we call a tour, you know, four shifts or whatever it is, they're like, dad, you, you're kind of on edge. You know, you seem like you shout at me a lot or, you know, whatever it was, that's your barometer. So asking yourself, I think is important, but sometimes we're so in my profession, so sleep deprived, we have no concept of how we're doing. So kind of figuring out whether it's an older friend or someone who hasn't seen you for a little bit and, or your close family, how am I doing is a great question to ask someone else. I like that. Do you think that uh, perhaps it's a, a level of complacency? Like we get to a point that uh, you, you do the job so autonomously that it creates more more time to be quiet in like more of that imposed quiet because you just, or correction, less of that imposed quiet because you're, the job no longer takes all of that cognitive processing of just, okay, now I need to do this and now I need to do this. It's more just your body's moving and you start to realize that all the stuff starts coming back up, if you know what I mean. So I, I'm just wondering if you think it's, do you think it's a complacency thing or do you think it is a, um, or it's complacency in addition to some of the other issues as well? Sean, what do you think? Go to you first. Well, I, I think maybe, maybe, but I think that what I see more correctly or, or, or more evidently is when someone's been in the game, a game, for long enough that they're pretty decent at it. The moment that they uh, have a spare moment, they're onto their phone. And so the distraction is the phone, the, the computer screen, the laptop, the, the workstation, but commonly the phone. And so if, if someone has a pause two, three for an hour, uh, they're on their phone zooming all either doom scrolling or gaming or whatever the case is a distraction and so maybe 15 20 years ago if you were autonomously getting good at your job and then all of a sudden you realized that you'd kind of disconnected from the job because you didn't have the same joy or passion for it well you would have had more time to consider your next move 20 years ago but today you don't have to make a decision because your distraction is the phone in front of your nose. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you're a bad person for that. I'm just saying this is the way society is unfolding nowadays. The moment that there's a spare moment, the moment is occupied by a phone. 
And um, that doesn't allow for much contemplation, doesn't allow for much deep introspection. It doesn't allow much thought for what's my next move. Do I even have a move? What interests me? What interests me right now is this game that I'm playing on my phone. And so that can kind of be a, not a detour, but an obstacle on the road that some someone can travel uh, without that phone. I think that someone can get further ahead in their um, contemplation on what's my next move. So I believe that the phone is a bit of a issue for someone who is maybe seeking a better path, but is easily distracted because uh, they don't want to maybe do the harder work of figuring the next step out. That's an interesting point too. James, what are your thoughts on this? I would use jujitsu as an analogy. Um, if you are, which I'm not, I'm only a blue belt, but if you are a black belt and you have a new member come in, let's say they've been in for a month, they're not super aggressive, they're respectful, they're trying to flow with you, then that black belt is going to is going to be kind of you know going to and fro with them, but they're probably going to be looking around the room, see the, what the next couple of guys and, and women are, around them are doing as far as rolling. You know, they may make a joke, you know, whatever it is, because they've done this so many times that they only really need ten percent of their focus for this particular role. Now, put me in there, blue belt. Say a, an aggressive blue belt purple belt comes in first time in the gym, you know, and you know you think you're going to have a light roll, and all of a sudden they're starting to beast you. I'm not now going to be looking around and seeing the other people rolling and making jokes. I'm now fully engaged in trying to not get murdered in this role. So I think the black belt veteran is the first responder warfighter with 10, 15 years in, and uh, you know me right now is the younger, you know, fresh soldier firefighter who's all my attention needs to be in that moment. So I think that most of our calls, as we become more and more and more experienced, they just require less of us. You know, when I first get off the fire engine as a brand new guy, I'm thinking about, you know, have I, is my microphone, is my headphones, you know, wrapped around my seatbelt? Am I going to get yanked off when I get off the rig? Have I strapped myself into my SCBA straps? You know, did I pull the wrong hose line? You know, is the the ladder backwards, I mean, all these things. And then, you know, 10 years in, it's just, it's muscle memory. You know, you do all that stuff without thinking. So now all you're thinking about is, all right, you know, is this roof safe? You know, wh which window am I going to? And so you're starting to think more like a leader rather than, than a brand new boot. So I think that that diminishing level of um, forced, uh, forced quiet, as you were saying, comes just from experience because you've seen this over and over and over again and some of these calls just don't require a lot from you which is also what gets some of us in trouble because it's not complacency we're not getting off the rig going i don't care but you've seen it so many times that you become a little robotic in your response and that's when you get the police officer that's kind of blasé and then you know they get shot in the traffic stop or the firefighter that falls through a roof because if we were the super wide-eyed brand new person, we'd probably be overly cautious. But you know, when when you haven't got hurt for 10 years, there's that subconscious element that like, ah, I'm I'm good, I'm okay. And then it can bite you in the ass on the scene itself, or as we just said, it can then allow things that maybe were were simmering for a long time to start bubbling up. And that's why it seems that around the 10 year mark, you start to see a little bit more of the you know, alcohol and 
and depression and anxiety and some of the other things that I know we see in the first responder professions, at least. Yeah. Sean, you got any additional points on this? Yeah, I do. It's because James raised the topic of BJJ and how a new firefighter could be considered perhaps a white belt moving towards a blue belt. And then, of course, there's going to be in that crew at least a brown belt and maybe a black belt. And so um, the interesting thing about BJJ, for anyone who is listening to this and isn't overly familiar with how it works, there's lots of white belts and they don't know a whole lot. But as you move up and you learn more and you get another belt on, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, right about the time you're brown belt, there ain't many brown belts on the fire engine. And so as you're leaning back, heading towards the fire, all the white belts can talk to the white belts. They all chirp. They're all doing their white belt thing. But the brown belts, they're not leaning over and talking to all the brown belts because there's only one on that fire engine. And so... The more you're in the game, the less people there are to talk as peers is my point. And so 10 years in, maybe you're now a black belt in whatever your industry you are in. You're now the only black belt. And who are you talking to? It's maybe uncomfortable to talk to all the jazz hand white belts about your daily problems on the mats because... Maybe it feels inappropriate. Maybe it just doesn't resonate. Maybe you're, you know you're not going to get the answers. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So the more you're in the game, the fewer people there are to talk to if you categorize it as such. But if you've got no one to talk to as a black belt, well, you've got to talk to someone. So who are you talking to? Now you're talking to maybe a brown belt. Now it's maybe to a purple belt. Or maybe... You can talk to white belts because they have an entirely different perspective on things. You've got to find the right language as a black belt would on a mat. You've got to find the right language to communicate with people and uh, use interrogatives or, or questioning processes that help you figure out what's going on within your life as well as their life by contextualizing back and forth. So there's always a way if you don't have a peer to talk to that you can kind of, for lack of a better term, move down a couple of rungs on the fire ladder and talk to others that are um, maybe not in the game as long as you have been with all of the knowledge and experience that you've got, but will give you a fresh set of eyes on maybe not specifically yourself, but generally on how things are going for the fire crew or for the fire engine or for each day's work or... Have you any observations on how things are going as a team recently? And so data is all around us all the time. And it's our job to cherry pick data or harvest data so that we have a fuller picture of how we're doing within the chaos of the world. Interesting. I, I'm thinking, I'm wondering, I guess, really, do you think that there is a correlation then to how you create the culture of those around you. So like your peers or your external friends or family and, and how you develop that culture to engage with one another would then determine how well you can find peace in those moments. Because I know like as a soldier coming back from Afghanistan, the only people I felt I could talk to were the people that were there with me because they knew, right. I didn't have to explain anything, but as I got, uh, 
you know, farther away from that, as I was able to engage with more people, I created a culture around me where open communication was totally normal. And it didn't matter that this person had been there or that person had been there. I was just open to communication. So that allowed me to find peace, I guess, faster with what I had dealt with because I had created a culture of open communication. Do you think that that applies to other areas? James, what do you think? I think to simplify it, it's the concept of you are the sum total of the five people around you. You know, I think that you have to look at who you surround yourself with. Um, I find it very hard after wearing uniform for 14 years to sit around and talk about football and politics and all that stuff. And, you know, it's just not my jam because I love conversations like this. So I seek people who are interesting, people who have, you know, challenged themselves in some way, shape or form. It might be, you know, a, a housewife or house husband with five kids that did everything, you know, homeschooled or you know, whatever it is. But I, I think that open communication is also just being a student, you know, just being hungry for, for nurturing conversation and that allow, and then also obviously vulnerability, not, not masquerading as some, you know, uh, immortal superhero, but the enemy of healing, the enemy of uh, creating a culture that allows us to discuss, you know, the things that we've done, the things that we've seen, if it's appropriate. Um, the enemy of that is divisive, you know, conversations that seem to be so popular at the moment. So I think seeking, I think curating the people around you and obviously your family, hopefully you've, you've chosen a partner that you love and you know, you've got a great relationship with your kids. So that should be somewhat inbuilt, but you can definitely bring them in more into, to what you've done. And I think this is what we need to do in the military and the first responder professions is educate the families more, support the families more because we're, you know, off doing our thing in our uniform, but they're the ones holding the line. They're the ones, you know, being a single parent for whether it's a day or a week or, nine months at a time. So they're the kind of unspoken heroes, but also the people around you. You know, I, I, I really struggle to have superficial, you know, water cooler conversations after this. I mean, I literally give you a perfect example. And this is, this is, you know, younger people I'm talking about, but we just had a murder here in our shopping mall in Ocala Christmas Eve. A guy basically executed another guy. I have no idea of the backstory, but, um, in front of all these people with their children shopping for gifts the night before Christmas. And I overheard some kids the next day. Um, there's two days. So it wasn't Christmas Eve. It was the 23rd. So on the 24th, I was in a bookstore and heard these kids talking about it. And this one was saying, I would say kids like teenagers, how happy she was that she got a day off now because the mall's closed for two days, you know, and there was this kind of sense of ooh and ah about it. But to a first responder or a military member, you know what that actually looks like. You know how horrific that is. And you feel sad and you empathize for everyone that saw it. And the two families have now destroyed the victim's family. And ultimately, when they catch him, you know, the perpetrator's family. Um, and so you just see it completely different. So I can't have deep, meaningful conversations where I can actually go the places I need to if someone's, you know, talking about Trump or Biden or this football team and why their quarterback sucks and I just can't do it. So I think for me, 
I agree with you 100%. I think you have to curate it because if you're around negativity and and shallow conversations and and again the facade of masculinity that might be the polar opposite of what you need. You know, we are warriors, warrior poets. So at times we have to do the you know the hard stuff, but other times we need to have these deep conversations. And I think just to underline that, I'm loving the fact that a lot of men now, men in our professions are telling each other they love them because we're starting to really pull away that, again, that that Robocop you know, mentality that we were kind of groomed with when we were younger and realizing that, yeah, when you've been to war, when you've been to a structure fire, when you've cut kids out of a car, you've been to a place that most people will never know. And that is a sense of deep, deep brotherhood and sisterhood. So you have to kind of find similar humans, even if you're not deployed or wearing uniform anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, thoughts on this? Well, that's why I enjoy talking with James, because I consider him a peer to some degree, and only in the sense of he's done a boatload of podcasts, talked to a boatload of people who are boatload of interesting, and he's um, he's gained experience through that that I enjoy listening to or engaging with in a conversation. So anytime I get to be around someone like a, a James, I'm stoked. I'm not doing backflips right now. I'm not flashing my jazz hands, but I'm pumped because it's the kind of thing that I like to do nowadays because I, I, I understand the value of it. And I think that's the trick is finding all the Jameses in the world um, will only occur if someone understands the importance of finding Jameses. And so how, how best to introduce someone to a James? Well, if not through podcasts, um, or a cruise ship, then how does someone bump into like the most interesting man in the world? Um, and, and I think that's something that you kind of got to seek, like as an adventure, you've kind of got to target it as a goal to literally meet interesting people rather than be reliant on fate or luck or uh, happenstance. Those are all good things. And they can present interesting people to you for sure. But I think that you've got to seek interesting as a, maybe not a primary objective, but it's certainly somewhere back there in tertiary where you are looking for it on a pretty regular basis. The most interesting person in the world. Now, who is it? I don't know. I've yet to meet them, but I know I've met a lot of interesting people. And on my deathbed, maybe I'll categorize them. But for now, I'm seeking interesting on the regular. And that's what's great about this podcast is we don't have to work too hard to, to have an interesting conversation nowadays just because there's we've, we've found interesting people. Or James has found us. We've found James. We're having an interesting conversation right now. And I'm set for the day now. I, if, if, uh, if the most interesting man in the world walks down in front of my house, uh, maybe I'll, I'll pursue him, but I won't feel as obligated to go on the hunt because I've already had my convo today. And, and I think that that's, that's something that can only be understood if you're having regular convos, that consistency of conversation effort where you are actively seeking to gain wisdom from another human being while enjoying the conversation. Like the moment that you find these kind of moments, 
it, it, it should cause you to sit back and think, I really enjoyed that. I want me some more of that. And then it's for you to find out where to get it. And again, you can find it on podcasts or maybe just in your neighborhood. But that's for you to discover as part of an adventure, I believe. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you in that. The, uh, my wife called, commented on this the other day was the fact that she's like, you, you talk to everybody. What, like, everybody. And I was like, well, yeah, why, why wouldn't you? And uh, she was like, the average, most people don't do that. They just, you know, they're, they want to, they deal with their interaction. Say, you know, you walk through a store, you buy some stuff and it's, hey, yeah, weather looks nice out there. Sure, great. And, and then they're out the door. Whereas the thing that I've realized that I do quite recently is the fact that I, I ask questions. I ask them. Like, I'm not, I'm not expecting a great conversation just fall into my lap. Right. I asked that person a question. Hey, that's a sweet ring you got on. Where'd you get that? And just small things that lead to bigger questions that lead to bigger questions that lead to bigger questions. And if that conversation carries on, awesome. If it doesn't, cool. Move on to the next. Like, and you just kind of slide from one conversation to the next. And it goes to everything that we've said over this year in the collective is that if you want to do something well, you have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so conversations are no different finding peace is no different. You have to continually, as you said, seek it <laughs> and, and, and practice the conversation, practice the goals, practice the, um, <clears throat> uh, the ability to then engage in the conversation. Because at the beginning of this year, Sean, I don't like, I don't think we would have been able to do that, have that great conversation and then be good for the day. But after 359 podcasts so far this year, we're able to have that good conversation and go check. We're good to go. And then also if others appear bonus, uh, James, I saw you writing something down. What do you got? <laughs> well, firstly, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, I seven years now into the podcast, the only reason why I'm able to have these interesting conversations is because I've learned from almost 900 people now yourselves included. So being constantly curious, I think, is a real superpower. And you really learn that when you start doing this. I mean, I had no idea that I was going to start a podcast. I just was looking for a good one in my profession. There wasn't one there in this particular field, in wellness, in the in firefighters back seven years ago. So, you know, I stumbled across this and it's been an amazing, you know, journey of learning. But just being curious, if you if you're talking about, again, you know, two political candidates or you're talking about two football teams or you know whatever tv show are you learning and it's okay to have superfluous conversation trust me i put on crap tv you know all the time just to kind of switch off but you know are you learning and i think that's a really important thing if, if over and over again you're getting angry when you're having these conversations or you're literally walking away going you know if you, if you analyze it i literally gain nothing from that conversation i just trashed a you know, 20 year old college player because he didn't tackle person X, you know, did I really bring value to the world? But just to, to pull an analogy, I was just on a cruise and I don't mean to, to bad mouth the individual involved, but it was a really powerful uh, kind of visual moment. There was one of these like, game shows that you do on cruises and it was Battle of the Sexes. So they split the room, you know, the women on this side, the men are on that side. And, you know, teams of five or six would do each of these little funny party games. Um, and there was one where they had to blow up a balloon and then tie a knot in it, put it between their legs, kind of 
waddle over and then kind of basically, for lack of a better word, dry hump their partner and make the boom pop. And there was a group of, of young lads. Again, they seem polite. They seem nice. Um, they were kind of from the, the, the Middle Eastern area somewhere as far as their origin. Didn't ever do a workout in the gym without their shirts off. I'll tell you that much. So, you know, show muscles. We play this game in the evening and this whole group of the same bunch of teenagers or you know early 20s, whatever they were, went up on stage. And the women destroyed them because these men with their muscles couldn't blow the balloon up. And it was just a, a great analogy of from the outside looking in, you know, they're in shape. They were good looking lads. But when it came to actually bringing substance to a moment, they weren't able to blow a balloon up. You know, and again, it's not I'm not making fun of these guys. It was just simply sometimes you're having this conversation, for example, and it's politics, it's sports or, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever it is. On the outside, it looks like you're having a conversation, but what are you really pulling away? What's the value of that conversation? I think this is the superpower that I tripped over seven years ago. I was a super passionate, curious firefighter that wanted to be the best I could be. I'm not going to compare myself to other firefighters because that doesn't make any sense to me, but I wanted to be the best version of me. But then when I got into this and realized again, like Sean said, I was an absolute white belt in conversations and my knowledge base was here you know, stunts, firefighting and, you know, CrossFit was pretty much it. And then it just started widening and widening and widening. So for me to use the analogy, you know, now, now I realize it's more important to be able to blow the balloon up than it is how I look on the outside, metaphorically, when it comes to conversations. I like it. All flash, no bang. <laughs> Sean, thoughts on this? Yeah, all show, no go. And to the show, you know, this show that we're on right now, or James's show, uh, you've got to have done a lot of go in order to have a show a year later. And so James's 900 goes in his show, and we're coming up on 400 goes in this show. And that that is that is no joke. The consistency of effort that it requires to bang out that number of episodes by James and and by the way, not just like he's not having all white belts on his show, like Chance and I. And so the his his journey, James's journey in the chaos of his world, James's journey in the chaos of the podcasting world has brought him a certain amount of peace in the sense of he's seen things from other people across from him on the digital screen. He's heard things from other people on that digital screen that have made him think about his world in a different way, have made him listen in a different way, communicate in a different way. And it's added peace to his life. I mean, I remember watching James for the first time and then, and now watching James now. And I think we all grow. I've seen James grow in, in his podcasting journey and in his life as I'm sure he's seen uh, us grow over here. And that, that takes a keen eye maybe uh, to see those kind of things. And it certainly takes patternizing the world to understand the trend and then make the delta and realize, oh yeah, that's, that's at least a 15% growth as a human or whatever percentage you want to choose. And so um, I think that anything that we engage in, podcasting as the example, is an opportunity to find peace in the chaos but you you got to you got to kind of make it an objective it can when it falls in your lap due to gravity that is like happenstance again 
that is not fate, but luck almost. But, and I'm not going to say, you know, if you, if you visualize it, then you manifest it. I'm not going to get all crystal ball here for a sec, but I mean, you've got to, you've got to know what you want. You've got to know what you're going to do in order to kind of connect the dots to, and it just happened. If, if it just happened and it's happenstance, that is completely different than I'm going to make this happen. And then when it happens, connect the dots and realize that you're capable of not manifesting things, but you're capable of making things happen. So it's for, it's for all of us, if we want to find peace and chaos, to title it in our heads that that's what I'm now pursuing through these various means. One of the means being having a chat with James on Boxing Day and getting context or perspective or wisdom or clarity or a different way to view the world. That's, it's invaluable to me. It's like, a, it's like a present underneath the Christmas tree. And so I appreciate being around cool people who make me think about things in a different way or in a better way, we'll call it. And, and again, this is not happenstance because we are literally making this conversation happen so that we're all benefiting from it. And it's not hard to do as long as intentionally you're trying to make a good conversation. You bring up a great point there, Sean, in that uh, it's, it's about finding peace in chaos in something rather than just peace in chaos. Because that, that comes after multiple iterations of finding peace in chaos in something, right? You can find peace in the chaos of learning how to podcast. You can find peace in the chaos of learning how to be a firefighter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And by doing that multiple times over the span of your life, I think that's what allows you to find peace in chaos of life, in, in, in the chaos of life, if that makes sense. James, what are your, what are your thoughts? I saw you again. I, I love every time you take notes, I'm like... Going back to him, what do you got? <laughs> well, that's a good tip for everyone as well. I think one of the which just ties into what I was going to say. One of the problems I think we have in modern day culture, and I'm sure all three of us have been guilty of this, is you have a tendency to step over someone when they're talking. Is oh, I don't. But before I forget, I got to say this, and then you just interrupt, 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 and you're just stepping all over each other. It's like you know, first day at Latin class, you know, it's just step, step, step. And so by writing something down, I've learned very early, if I just write down what I want to ask, if the person doesn't circle around and answer my question anyway, before I even interrupt, then I can go back and say, you know, I wanted to ask you about this thing. So I think that ultimately, you know, first it starts off as a piece of paper and a pen. And then I think you start developing a muscle where you're, you're able to do that in your mind, which is, is something that probably a lot of us did until recently when devices and everything came in and really messed up our ability to, com to, to communicate. But as far as peace amidst chaos, I think what we're doing now in, in, in a way does kind of answer that question. How do you find peace amongst chaos? For example, say there were two of us on this conversation. One of us was a diehard, you know, pro-Palestine. The other one was a diehard pro-Israel. And you just bang in, bang in heads. And then a third person comes in and leads you in the middle and said, you know, do you, do you have kids? Yeah, I have kids. You know, do you like seeing your kids suffering? No, I don't like seeing my kids suffering. You like seeing them hungry? No. And you start leading down the road, and then they realize that they actually agree with 90% of what you just asked them. 
we have so much chaos, I think, because at the moment we're dragged to the two extreme sides of conversations, which is chaos. But the peace, and we're talking about conversation now, the interaction between human beings, you find in that commonality in the middle that we have so much in common with each other. So you take whatever click, you know, hot button topic is going on at the moment, in the middle is going to be kindness, compassion, community, gratitude, you know, just wanting to watch your kids, you know, grow, watch them thrive, watch them be excited, you know, watch them be safe, watch them be educated in a good way. We're going to agree with that. So I think that, you know, these deep and meaningful conversations, they're not even that deep, these meaningful conversations where we take it in turn to listen to each other, formulate our own thoughts, and hopefully add something to the conversation rather than fight to to convince the other person who is right that's how you find peace amongst chaos as well and i think that you know if you could infuse that into news again if you can infuse that into social media conversations you'd, you'd literally revolutionize everything you change the world but we've gone so far from the ability to to see that these minute differences ultimately can be celebrated as long as they're not hurting other people, but that we have so much in common, regardless of skin tone or who we worship or who we go to bed with, that a huge part of you know human beings simply have the same exact experience. So I think that important, mindful, patient, gracious conversations are the absolute kryptonite to chaos when it comes to that element. Absolutely. Sean, thoughts? It's not that it's a rare moment, but it's uncommon where I don't feel like I've got something more to add, but I've got nothing to add now because James just freaking cracked it out of the park. <laughs> Knocked it out of the park. I like it. Um, well, you know, we are, we're getting close on time. So let's, let's get some, I think that's a great place to kind of uh, shut her down for the afternoon. But first off, James and Sean, thank you guys for the conversation. I do really appreciate it. Um, any final thoughts? Anything in the back of your head still bubbling around on finding peace in chaos or anything at all? James, what do you think? Um, I think, I mean, that that final thought, that was pretty much it. And I just want to infuse some hope. Let's, let's make 2024 the year where, you know, we rebuild community, that we start pulling each other together rather than pushing each other apart. So... I hope that we're at the beginning of a paradigm shift. I really believe that people are yearning for a lot of the good things. They're yearning for podcasts, they're yearning for documentaries, they're yearning for good books and you know, great movies with great interesting stories and um, you know, community. You know, I think I think people want to refine that tribal element that we've had for hundreds of thousands of years before recently. So may twenty twenty four be an awesome year. I'm gonna leave it with that. I like it. Sean? Final thoughts? Nicely done, James. I agree. So I've got nothing more to add. <laughs> Bam. You, you made Sean not add anything twice in a row. That is cause for celebration in and of itself. But the uh, I, I don't have a lot to add. I was just thinking that when you guys were, uh, when you were talking there, James, is the fact that the thing that we don't realize, I think, in, as humans, is that our experiences may be unique, but they are not special. And I think that is something that we need to kind of build upon within our own lives to understand that there are so many things in our life that we can all agree upon. 
and it is a large chunk of your life. There, as you said, there are outliers, as Sean says, there are outliers as, um, as there isn't anything, but there's a large chunk in pretty much everybody's life that we could probably agree on. Um, so I will finish this the way we always finish it off, but uh, continue learning, not only about yourself, but others. Build upon that knowledge every single day and grow into the person that you're meant to be. And you can do that with us here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.